And we are live. 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 Tuesdays at 2. Did we meet last week? Did we do this last week? We did not meet last week. We did not, because you were... I was on a college tour. Oh, I thought you were going to say a cruise. Well, no. Um, <laughs> in Oxford, Ohio. Nice. First time there. Oh, okay. That was interesting. Uh, all the students were migrating from one side of the road to the other. Okay. Maybe a little bit late for the uh, meeting or, or the tour. That's it. They're not letting her in. Not letting her in. So. Because uh, you're late. They have a hockey uh, stadium there or hockey rink there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't, I've never been there yeah. either. So. You need to go check it out. You all like right. hockey, don't you? I mean, not really. <laughs> um, I don't mind going to games. That's fun. I don't really like watching it much on TV. Oh, I thought for Wisconsin, maybe you're a big hockey guy. That's true. They're actually always really good. <laughs> like the college team. Um, so anyway, Tuesdays at 2. Do you play fantasy football? Uh, it would be a fantasy for me to play football. Also, <laughs> no, I do not play fantasy football. All right. I didn't totally understand your answer. But okay, I okay. I do not play. So, Last night, there were two games, one that started at 7, 10, Uh and one that started at 10, 20, and I may or may not have stayed up for both of them. You may or may not. Yeah. That sounds like one of those either-or answers. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, I was up till 1.30, and, like, I was half a point away from winning. Okay, so let me stop this. You have a brand-new child, right? Yeah. And you chose to stay up at 1.30, knowing you're going to have to get up anyway, right? That was why I stayed up that late. Okay, okay. Because he needs to eat at 2 every night. And so I was like, well, if this game goes as late as I think it's going to go, I might just take care of feeding him, and then I can go to sleep and not have to wake back up. Because if I'm just staying up late and feeding him as late as I go, that's not as bad as having to wake back up. So other people, do they play at the same time as you when they don't have children keeping them awake? Uh, I don't know what other people do. Oh, okay, so I didn't know if you had to compete at the same time. I don't oh, really... Oh, well, yeah, yeah, Oh, fantasy football. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So for those of you who don't know, they don't have to stay awake. They could wake up the next day and look at the stats. Ah, they don't have to be awake. Okay, okay. It's just all based on what goes down in the game. So okay. even though I was half point away, I had nothing to do with it aside from rooting harder. Okay. And it didn't work. Wow. I lost. That's, that's so I stayed up late. I was I was expecting to have a Monday night miracle or a Tuesday morning miracle, if you will, and instead I was let down and heartbroken. Mm. So if I seem a little bit tired, that's literally what I say every week now. Yeah, so, so you probably do, and you probably had coffee this morning, didn't you? I did. Okay. I did, but actually I've only had two cups all day. Yeah. That's low for me, so. It's my second cup. Well. Oh, it's a mug kind of. I know. And I want one of those, but Pastor Scott will not get me one. So if you're, if you're on Facebook Live and you think Pastor Scott should give me one of those mugs, just comment and and tell him. Make sure to tag, okay, tag if, him. If Nick can tell me what those letters stand for. Association of Christian Biblical Counseling. <laughs> well, you don't get one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tuesday's at 2. So uh, we did a little bit of a different thing on Sunday, a standalone message, if you will. Standalone. And here's the thing. If you were not there, that's okay, because I think that all of what we're going to talk about is applicable and um, matters in the life of a believer, regardless of if you attended church on Sunday or not. In fact, I would say that was, you know, an underlying sort of thought and crux of of the message is mm-hmm. the fact that we as believers need to constantly be taking next steps. Um, and there's a big hairy theological term that we we use around here for next steps and it is that um sanctification of it sanctification so you like that word don't you well i do and i don't 
Um, I do like the word. I like I like explaining it to students. But I the thing is, you always have to explain what it mm-hmm. is. You can't just say it and people know it. Yep. So that's why I don't like it. But with that in mind, why don't you explain that word? <laughs> what does it mean? Where does it come from? All that kind of stuff. Well, sanctification technically means just to be set apart. Okay. So in essence, it's being made holy. Um, and so it kind of kind of we look so, at. So hold on a minute. Even when you say that, we we are saved by grace through mm-hmm. faith, not mm-hmm. of our works. That's correct. So um, how are we? Like, how are we set apart? How are we made holy if it's nothing we do? And it, it's a one... Salvation is a one-time thing that happens at a moment in time, yep. right? Yep. So then... Hey. <laughs> so then, what's this all about? Well, there, we kind of... If you, if you really think about this, it's a process, past, present, future. Okay. And so, in one sense, um, there's a designation that God makes toward us. And, and basically identifies us, since he's our evaluator, right? Right. So our judge of, of the living and the dead is the one who evaluates us. So when he designates us sanctified, in essence, we are um, using a label that he gives for us because of the way he sees us through his son, Jesus. So, so it's an essence that, that we are identified as, as performing the law and, and being credited with righteousness. And so as opposed to all our filthiness, all our righteousness being like filthy rags, God looks at our righteousness through Christ, you know, his works on our behalf. And so there's a, there's a sense that God sees us as righteous, which we're really not. Right. Okay. But we are changed, but we're not, it's not because we've done all these righteous works. It's because he sees us as righteous. So, so this, this identity is given to us in Christ. Okay. Okay. So that's is kind that of, the setting apart. That's the setting apart. And so in, in essence, when Ephesians 1 says that God has uh, made us holy and blameless, we know we're not blameless, and we know we're not holy because Jesus is holy, and Jesus says there's no one good but God alone. But the fact that God identifies us as that and calls us a saint—I mean, the, the the word in Ephesians used is we're saints. People think you know we have this this bad view of of, of or misleading view of what it means to be a saint, you know, from old bad you know handed down. Um, kind of superstitious theology ideology yeah so that people die and become saints yeah actually they do die they die in christ right and then become saints and so so god positions us essentially as if we're by him and and receiving the righteousness that jesus had so that's kind of definitive or positional sanctification we're not really there but he's positioned us there um there's a progressive sanctification which means in faith that we're growing to look more like Christ. So, so salvation in a moment, a definitive moment, God declares us righteous, right? We're no longer his enemy. We're declared righteous. We're, our sins have been removed, and, and in God's standing, we're okay. So we, we've been positioned righteous. From that point forward, God is working in us to make us look like his son. That, that in essence, is what the word means. And that's ongoing. It's ongoing, never progressive. Ending, yeah. All the way up until either the Lord returns or we go to be go with home. Him. That's right. Yeah. And that's the final part, where God finishes what he began. It's like Philippians 1.6, one of those beautiful verses that, that we like to think about. I encourage when we, when we don't feel like we're making progress is, you know, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. He's working through this process to make us look more like Jesus, and one day we'll arrive. So we talked about taking next steps, and so essentially the, the past sanctification is that moment of salvation, if you will. 
And that future sanctification or glorification mm-hmm. or, you know, when we die, when we go to heaven, whatever the case may be, however you want to label it, those are kind of the bookends. And in the middle here is what you and I and everyone who claims to be in Christ mm-hmm. should be uh, taking part of. Sure. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then what are some ways that we are changed as Christ followers? Well, I mean, obviously, we're, we're given a new heart. Okay. Okay, so so in, in essence, Scripture says that somebody who's not in Christ is an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Christ. Hmm. And so we don't actually want to come to God. We don't want our deeds to be exposed as darkness is what John 3 says. So it's in essence that we're avoiding the light because it makes us look bad. It makes, in, in real evaluation, when you're, when you're measured to Jesus, okay, look, that's the problem. People want to measure themselves by other people. Mm-hmm. But, but God doesn't measure us by other people. God measures us by his law and the, 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 the truth who became flesh, Jesus, right? Yeah. And so Jesus is the perfect example, the only one who walked in flesh and did not sin. And so that's, that's the reference point for, for being measured. And, and uh, so people are uncomfortable with that. Hmm. And so there's an essence that God begins a new work in us and gives us a new heart, right? And, and when, our, when we are made alive in Christ and given this new heart, there, there's this, the work of the Holy Spirit to draw us to himself. And to, to basically for us to actually want that relationship with God. Okay. And so as opposed to being, you know, um, in conflict with God, now we're friends with God, and God is actually working in us to pull us toward himself there. So what are some, like, things, some factors, some experiences, whatever, that can cause people to grow? I mean, it's infinite. I sure, know, but sure. But what are some common ones? Well, um, there, there are kind of different ways of looking at this. One is God himself, obviously. Philippians 2, 12, and 13 says, God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, the verse we normally think about is the verse before that, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Okay, so we're working out what God has begun in us, and he's actually working in us. He's, he's wanting us and, and actually working toward us doing the same thing. And so part of that, that the fact that if God wasn't working in us, we wouldn't be working at all. So that's, that's one factor. The Word of God is another. Yeah. Obviously, the Bible talks about the Word of God doing its work in us uh, to, to cause us to grow in respect to our salvation. Long for the Word. And, and, and even, our, even our, you know, in the, the book of Mark, or the Gospel of Mark, you know, the soil, the, the Word is planted into the heart there, and it, and it bears roots and grows and, and, and bears fruit. And yeah. so, so that's the essence. Holy Spirit, obviously, is part of this, which, you know, we could tie that in with God. Um, uh, other believers are a big factor. Yeah. Other believers speaking into us. Uh, providence, or we could, we could look at it from a difficult side of providence, suffering. Mm. So God is actually causing all things to work together for good for those who love God. So so providence means that, that everything that happens, somehow God in his sovereignty is using it to transform the believer into the likeness of Christ. Yeah. So all those are some factors, and yeah. you know we could add to that, but that's kind of some of the... So those are good. So then... Practically speaking for us, so if you're here on Facebook Live, here's what I want you to do. If you're watching or if you're, you know, archived later, I want you to, to see if you can answer this, all right? When you walk into our auditorium uh, through the two main doors, there's a big wall that says next steps. Um, and there's four little icons that represent four next steps for our gathering environment. So can you, if you're on Facebook Live, in the comments there, can you... Uh, reiterate what those are. So one, two, three, four. In that order. Can you do the order? <laughs> and so I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. It starts with salvation. 
right? Because yep. we talked about like yep. that that sanctification. We were set apart that that salvation, but then as we continue to work out our salvation, there are steps that we need to take as yeah. believers. So write those in if you're on Facebook Live. Also, if you're on Facebook Live, while I got you, just click that little share button so you can help, help us get the word out. Um, now, there were t- – so Pastor Brad talked the first probably two-thirds of the message on doctrine and just like the, the theology of what sanctification is and those types of things. But without getting it practical – like you just came and listened to a nice Bible lesson. So what you know, what are those next steps that we need to take? And and that's what you know you're hopefully engaging with in the comments there on Facebook Live. But some of those next steps tend to be difficult. And so mm-hmm. let's just let's just talk about a few and let's talk about some common um, some common barriers that people sure. might have. So one of the Pastor Brad put them into two categories. He put mm-hmm. them into corporate next steps and personal next steps. Mm-hmm. So the first one I want to talk about is spiritual disciplines. And hint, that's not on your quiz. So <laughs> what, what are some common barriers that people have to personal spiritual disciplines? And maybe we should even back up and just define what those might be. So personal spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, prayer, meditation, solitude, scripture memory. Yeah. Anything else you can think uh, of? Maybe evan- you know, evangelism uh, or witnessing is, is one that's often concert, you know, considered in there. Yeah. Um, I think those are the main ones probably uh, that most people would think of. So what are some common barriers you, you find as a pastor, as a counselor that people face? Well, I think, I think well, I can tell you, like, we have a class, and, and this would be helpful. I can get a little plug for this. Yeah. We have one of our core seminars coming up. So clarifying the Bible, some people, they don't know where to start. Hmm. If they've never been trained, you know, I was a, I was a, a new, newer pastor coming out of seminary, and I was going to be leaving this church at this time. I'd been there on a kind of a temporary assignment. And one of the things I said, what would you like for me to teach you before I got out of here? You know, because it was smaller, so it was only about 50-some people. And they're like, we've never really been taught how to study the Bible. Hmm. So, so understanding the Bible, like how the Bible fits together, and then actually how to sit down and study it. And we have seminars, kind of course seminars or classes for both of those. So that might be one where I don't know how to study the Bible. I, I, you know, I get in there, I want to start, and, um, you know, it, things happen. So, Yeah, that's a good one. Let me ask, let me see if this is one you can resonate with. Sometimes when I pray, if I'm not praying out loud, my mind wanders. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? No, never. Well, <laughs> well you're a doctor. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you... Well, probably today. <laughs> so what do you do about that? Well, I, I think I think you continue to wrestle with the fact that... we're, we're Look, it, this is a good reminder to some degree that the fact we're praying and, and we're fighting this we're actually in battle to some degree to pray yeah um as opposed to before like if if like i came to christ as an adult so my salvation experience happened at 26 yeah so um before 26 prayers were fairly infrequent right so the fact i'm actually trying to pray and bring my request to god that's a good thing um so it's a reminder that i'm not where i was but the fact I'm still struggling is a reminder of also that I'm not where I'll be. So it's kind of already, but not yet. Mm-hmm. So, so some sense it keeps me humble because I, I haven't arrived. Yeah. And some sense it's encouraging because I'm not where I was either. Hmm. So, so from that perspective there. But yeah, it's just just a reminder that we're in a, we're in a world full of distractions. Yeah. Right. There are all kinds of things 
that vie for our that vie for our attention. And and look, I go I go back to this. You know, we've talked about this several times, but that parable of the soils. There are there are things that are competing with, and and that pa- that illustration parable uses these thorns that that grow up with the word and choke it out. Yeah. And so part of the problem with the word is if you don't if you don't read the word and know the word, study the word, it can't really bear the fruit in hmm. there. So so. You know, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches, um, the worries of the concerns of the world, and desires for other things will choke out the word. All those can stymie your desire to read or pray, hmm. right? Yeah. Because your mind is, I mean, I find it sometimes that it may take an extended amount of time just to be able to get to the point where I'm concentrating, where I'm actually focusing on what I'm doing. You know, like, you go through the motions. Yeah. I was talking to a friend a while ago who was running, and he's in Columbus. And I've done this driving, but never running because I don't run very much. So. But he's running. He missed his road while we were talking. And I thought, I do that driving sometimes where my mind's preoccupied. Yeah. Well, that's what we do in our, our prayer time and our, our study time. We can just be going through the motions and not really completely engaged in our heart and mind. Yeah, that's good. So uh, let's do some quick hitters. So um, I don't know if we have comments or not, but the ne- so salvation is the first one. Baptism is the next one. So why is baptism... Uh, well, never mind. Don't answer that. Here's my question. Here's a common, um, a common excuse or reason I hear from people. The reason that they don't want to get baptized is because uh, we're saved by grace alone, and so I don't need to be baptized. I'm already a Christian. I'm already saved. Sure. So why do I need to get baptized? What would be your What would be your reason from scripture? Well, the for that? simplest answer would be because Jesus said to. Um, you know, so like, disobedience. Yeah, disobedience. Um, you know, Jesus gave his disciples a, a command or commission at the end of Matthew, and it's it's in Luke. It's in all the Gospels, more or less. Not probably in the same format as Matthew, but it says, "Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." Right? Yeah. So, teach them to observe all the command you. Well, if you're teaching them to observe all the command you, he's already. That's one of the commands already, right hmm. there, to baptize them. Yeah. So you can't. And, and so there's there in essence. If, if Jesus was baptized, Jesus told us to be baptized, and baptism is an event where you're publicly at least identifying with Christ like you do with your wife. Okay, when I got engaged to my wife, okay, yeah. I asked her to marry me, and it wasn't in public. Yeah. But my ceremony, uh, my wedding was actually a public ceremony where I declared my faithfulness and my love to my wife in front of other people. Yeah. Baptism is the same thing. I've, I've made my commitment to Christ, but I'm going public with it to say that he belongs to me, I belong to him, and then I belong to the body here. So so in essence, he's asked us to do this. Um, you know, I think there are lots of reasons people probably don't want to be baptized. Uh, I'd hate to put caricature anybody and say there's one size fits all, but right. usually like anything, look, a, a, a common thing to do is if there's an objection to something that Jesus said, have a good conversation and find out why. Hmm. Okay. There, there could be all kinds of good reasons, uh, yeah. you know, uh, just like there could be as much as I could be fearful about getting baptized, right? And we, we look at that sometimes. People are afraid to go before people. And we'd say, okay, well, you have fear of man. Well, at the same time, my reason for getting baptized might be because the pride in me wants other people to see me get baptized. Hmm. So we don't always evaluate things from the negative side to the positive side, but every positive doesn't necessarily mean it's to please the Lord. It could be because it draws attention to myself. Mm, that's good. So, so still quick hitter. Uh, next, next, next step that we're going to talk about membership. <laughs> membership. So uh, maybe a common excuse would be, I'm I'm coming here. I'm committed to it. Why do you need me to go to a class and put my name on a piece of paper? 
um, which would officially, quote-unquote, make me a member. What's what's the reason, rationale behind membership? Well, I, I mean, there, there are lots of reasons, but let me let me give you two, try to re- relatively quick on this, okay? The Bible uses the metaphor or analogy of a body um, to represent the, the, the church, Yeah. okay? A body, uh, if a body part is disconnected from the body, okay, it can't live. Hmm. And so, so in essence, there are lots of commands that Jesus gave, like baptism, okay? Um, I can't be baptized by a church in Africa. So in essence, there's, the church is all the Christians worldwide. But for me to do a lot of the things Scripture says, I have to be connected to a group of people to be able to do that. Hmm. And so that practically speaking, I can't confess my sins to one another unless I'm with believers. I can't encourage. There are lots of things I can't do unless I'm connected to a body. Um, I would say in a big sense, historical, the church in the, in the New Testament where the, when this was written, yeah. clearly if you were identifying with Jesus, you were set apart from society there. Hmm. Since our church is on every corner now, it's, it's not really that way. So yeah. in practical speaking, when I commit to other people, then they commit to me as well. And for, since for, for my pastoral care, the fact that I am a sheep, the Scripture says, and I need to be cared for, and, and, and other people have a part in that responsibility as, and, as well as I do with them, how can you practically do that? Hmm. Okay, so if give an example. If I'm a husband and I'm beating my wife and I'm not doing what the Bible says, um, if we're not a part of any church and there's no type of recourse for her, uh, other than a criminal, but there should be some, before it ever gets there, does she have some way and, and some authority over that's supposed to be over me besides myself, right, right. that I'm accountable to? Yeah. And so from a practical perspective of helping each other when, when we go astray, but encouraging one another as well. And so if we're not technically members, there's kind of a lack of authority. There's a lack of authority, and, and without the documentation to say that you've committed to this, we've committed to you to, to follow in this set of principles. You've covenanted with us for this set of principles, so we have a relationship now. We have a, a, a binding relationship somewhere. We're going to fulfill this part of our responsibility. You're going to fulfill that. If we don't, these are the consequences, and if we, you don't, these are the consequences. So it's in writing, and we've communicated and agreed upon this, yeah. just like you do when you marry. You married your wife, I assume, and said, I promise I vow to do this, this, and this till death does its part, right? Right, right? Okay. So in essence, church membership is the same way. We are, we are taking what we say we believe here and put it in some form of some accountability. And it's easy then if you're, say you're not a member, to just ask the church, what have you done for me lately? Um, as opposed to flipping that question and saying, what have I done? Yeah. You know, to, to help build up and, and encourage and all those types of things. So. I mean, people stray from, from you know, what if, what if your child strayed away in college um, and was doing things that weren't lawful and hurting themselves? Would you not want somebody in authority to even if you don't want them to get arrested, to, to, to keep them from hurting others and hurting themselves. And, and somewhat the church is our spiritual authority where we want to make sure that people aren't hurting themselves, biblically speaking, or other people. And so we're called to love one another, right? And so the church yeah. brings some type of oversight there to make sure we're all living in a way that pleases God, but also it helps one another, loves one another. Yeah. All right, last one I want to touch on, um, life groups. We talk about this practically every week. So um, I think one of the primary reasons that... Our, our next steps wall goes salvation, baptism, memberships, life groups. You might think, I'm in a life group, so you're saying once I'm in a life group, there's no more next steps. No, but simply from that gathering environment, that's your next step. And once you're there, then there are all kinds of different next steps, but the accountability and the motivation and the um, mobilization takes place in a much different context. It doesn't happen in a large room that seats 600 plus people. It happens in a living room of 6 to 15 people or whatever the case may be. So 
well, here's an excuse or a very legitimate reason, I might add. Um, I want to go to life group, but what in the world do I do with my kids? Yeah. Like, if you got little kids, I have two little kids, like, makes makes getting around a little bit challenging. So, pastor of groups, <laughs> what's our solution? Well, we, we, we are always uh, in some form of uh, transition with this one, uh, especially as groups and demand for groups grows larger than our uh, our infrastructure, our facility here. Yeah. So, uh, one, probably the ideal setting uh, for those who have been doing groups for the longest in, in, in our culture. Now, groups have been a part since the Bible, obviously, since the early days. But Like the early church was a group. Early group. <laughs> they, they met in groups, right? Yeah, yeah. They didn't have a building like this. Yeah. They didn't meet in the temple. But um, to some degree that we, we share the burden for caring. For, look, we say that children matter. Yep. Jesus says, permit the children to come to us. Yep. Um, I think one way to elevate that the role of children and the value of children is to say that our group is going to help care for the children. Hmm. And so there's a way that we can help somewhat from a church perspective, but that's programming, trying to find, you know, coordinate all that. The easiest way would be for a group to say, we're going to try to figure out how to do this together. And so in groups I've been a part of in the past, um, somebody in the group would kind of rotate around and, and you know, we've got to make it valuable. That's the thing. And it's not easy. It's not difficult because, look, I, I think there are two difficulties here. If all your fellowship time is concentrated on that one time you get together, then you're going to feel like you're missing something. But if that's one component of, and, and we value that ministry side of that, like even in this group, it gives me a chance to serve other people. Hmm. And, and so, but you, I mean, it doesn't have to be a husband. You, you team people up and you make it part of it and, and you make sure they don't feel like they're missing out from the group life. So, so somehow... We shoulder that burden together. There may be, you know, circumstances where we can't do that, and and you might find childcare somehow. Somebody, a teenager, something if the schedules permit, right. where we can share some of that burden. And and like I said, we don't want it to be a hindrance. It is, um, or like I said, uh, maybe maybe find a way. If, if if you can't find any other way, there might be men's groups, women's groups. There are other, there there are ways to get around that. Like I said, if it's a couples group, then you probably got to share the burden somewhat. If men doing men on certain days and women doing women on certain days, then obviously that doesn't become as much issue. I, my thing always with especially if you're in a co-ed group, obviously with the men's group, women's group, this doesn't really factor in. But um, if we're in a group and we say we're committed to each other and we love one another and serve one another, that also includes our kids. Yes. You know what I mean? So like. Listen, this may sound self-serving, but keep in mind, I've been doing, I've been a part of groups uh, as long as I've been in ministry for the last seven, eight years. And so for the first five or six years of that, like, I didn't have any kids, but I still played a role. Like, I took my turn. I rotated. I watched kids. I did the kids lesson, like the whole thing, because I was, that was just part of, of group life. And I think it's easy to say, Listen, is it is it more convenient if it's just a bunch of adults and no kids? Sure, but that that's part of doing life together. Is you you enter into the mess and a little bit of the chaos yeah. and and what have you because you love and care for one another, or you should. Yeah. If not, like, what are you really committing to? You're committing to a idealistic version of it, which isn't real life. It's, it's just, just me coming and getting served again once again. I think as we move in more and more this way, if we're going to elevate the value of kids and say they're really important to us, this is one of the primary ways we can do that. Yeah. Because the, the children do matter. And, and Jesus did have some harsh words to say when, when his disciples tried to prevent children from getting to him. And, and I think to some degree, 
that that's that's what identifies us with 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 Jesus as much as anything. Our value of children. Yeah. Okay. Whether it, where we think about pro life abortion or we think about now, children are not a hindrance or distraction. And sometimes in church they can be the way we value it. Yep. That's not the way it is in scripture. Yep. Right. Yep, that's good. Well, listen, if you're still with us, 27 minutes in, we appreciate it. <laughs> is that um, is our goal, 27? I think. Tuesdays at 2 for 27 minutes. That's <laughs> new branding. Um, but we appreciate it. Thanks for sticking around. If you're still with us, do us a favor, hit that share button. Um, but listen, it's life group season. So now is the time. If you've been putting it off, if you've been dragging your feet, if you've been coming up with all the reasons and all the excuses, please, like, we can't stress enough that it's not enough to just come Sunday morning. Um, you're missing out on more than half of what our church does and offers and a very important strategic part of our discipleship plan. So jump online, lhc.life, join a group. Um, if any of the other next steps resonated with you, you can also anytime jump on lhc.life and let us know how we can be praying for you and how you want to take next steps. But until then, until next time, we will see you next week, Tuesday at 2. 2.